We laugh. We cry. We learn. But really, what doesn't kill you makes you better at managing clients and everyone. I'm Morgan Friedman, and this is Client Horror Stories. Hey, everyone. Um, welcome to the latest edition of Client Horror Stories. And I'm very excited to have Violet on today. No, not Violet from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I always mix that up. Um, and we were just chatting before, and she has a great story. Let's jump right in. Violet, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to attend to share my horrors with everyone. So that we can make mistakes so that others can learn from them and hopefully make different mistakes. I am terrific at making mistakes. So yes, <laughs> yes. So everyone <laughs> should uh, learn. <laughs> yes. So let's let's talk about today's mistake. What's uh, first tell us the context of the story and then what happened? Well, uh, you know what's interesting about this particular client that I wanted to discuss is uh, it was just a storm of little things that built up along the way that made it just absolutely miserable to support this client. And one of the biggest pieces was that they were a third of the company's revenue. So this company <laughs> had many, many, many clients but they had this big fish that was a third of their revenue. And so they got pushed around a lot. They were, they, they did set up some processes and um, take advice, advice from the client, um, which worked sometimes, but a lot of times it just helped us lose money and self-respect. Um, it just, it, it was difficult supporting this particular client. You know, this is a good preface to the story because it's always a dangerous. I'd say the, the, the main client isn't a fish, it's a well. And the danger or the risk of having a well client is it's so easy. Like they know they're a third of your revenue, so they mm -hmm. can so easily pressure you and, uh, and, 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 and take advantage of you. And, um, one of the business challenges of any agency or any small business is to diversify your number of clients. Right. Well, and the uh, company was really happy to have this client because name recognition is huge. And they could tell their other clients or um, prospective clients that, oh, well, we're already working with this particular company and they have 3,000 3, different sites and we're able to support that. So, of course, we could handle your shop of 600 stores. You know, I mean, it was it was a good way to sell, but being the account manager was, uh, it was brutal. It was really brutal. I think, because what, it, oh, I, I like the meta-analysis before we jump into the meat. That what's interesting is that clients, so it's, uh, who are not just Wells, but who have name recognition, they know they have name recognition, so they can use that to their advantage to, constantly renegotiate and get better terms mm -hmm. and more and, and more and more work uh work work for free and lots of other yeah. uh, fun fun things that people think they can get away with because they often do get away with it 
They do. And you know what? It, what's interesting is we're talking about a company, but we're talking about 50 or 70 different contacts that I had at that company that all pulled this shit, all pulled this attitude, right? And all pulled this, like pushed us around because they could, because they knew that that was the, the dynamic. Um, so it was, it was difficult to deal with because it wasn't like, oh, wow, this client's really terrible. It's like, I would say 70% of the people I was dealing with were, they were just unkind and um, difficult. You know, I, what's good about the buildup is it's getting me excited. It's wetting my appetite for, for the, the, the meat that's about to come. But that's also a good point because often what happens in these horror stories, there's one bad person. You get a, a bad CEO and he makes it miserable for, uh, for everyone or a bad account manager on the other side. But when you have a culture where it's three yes. quarters of the people are like this, like then, then, then it, it, it makes a terrible situation unsavable. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And I wasn't, I wasn't uh, exaggerating by saying that I was dealing with 50 different people because on my way out from this, you know, when I got a new position, I had to you know, basically document and keep track of every person that I dealt with and uh, what we worked on together and their contact information. And there were nearly 70 people that I dealt with over two years. And a big, I would say, yeah, a vast majority were just not fun to work with. Um, but it really taught me a lot of patience. So if I'm going to look at the bright side, it was like account management boot camp. I even told that to the CEO when I left. I was like, thank you so much for this opportunity. I feel like I like have had 15 years of account management experience because I've worked that many hours. I'll tell you that, I worked that many hours. Um, it, 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 was, it was insane. It was one of those 12 to 14 hour day, maybe had a Saturday off, always worked the holidays because a lot of stores, um, retailers are open 24 seven, 365, right? Um, it was, uh, definitely sounds like a good, a good learning experience. So, uh, <laughs> that is a euphemism. So, uh, so let, so let, let's, let's jump in. What, so what, what's the context and then what happened? Well, I think one of the really good examples is when dealing with the, um, procurement team and you actually mentioned, I think you already mentioned working with procurement. Um, and they're like getting you down to the very slimmest margin, right? Um, they did that to us so frequently that we were bleeding, bleeding out because we would work on these projects. And not only were we giving them bargain, you know, based on bargain prices for all of our services and, and products, um, but they were also refusing to pay us in certain scenarios. Uh, let's say that a technician was on site for longer than they were supposed to be. You know, let's say that this issue would take one hour to resolve, yet the technician was on site for two hours. Well, because there were multiple problems, right? And they would refuse to pay for those two hours. They would pay the one, one hour agreed, um, but there were so many of those issues that we we're just losing so much money. And it was very difficult to to argue against that because our contracts weren't necessarily in the place to protect us, in my opinion. We didn't have a legal team. That probably hurt us. Okay, so there are a 
couple of useful gems uh, gems in there. Let's uh, let's take them out. First, the importance of good contracts and a legal team. I think this is a classic problem that small businesses have because you don't yet have the money to hire to hire mm-hmm. a big fan a, a, a big fancy lawyer. But when you get a huge client, then then every line in the contract they're they're going to they're going to take take it to their advantage. So and so I think the lesson is when you get big clients, it's worth it to spurge for uh, for lawyers, even if you think you uh, th- think you don't need it. But I feel like that lesson, while obvious, it's so easy to miss because because you you don't, you don't realize that you don't realize what's happening as as it's happening. I'm guessing that this company I worked for just didn't get sued a lot. I mean, otherwise they would, or or, or didn't have to fight uh, for their contract language to stand up. I, I, I don't know. It just seemed strange that we were never really in, um, engaging right. a legal team or a legal contact. Whereas, and I know that now because I'm in a position where we have a huge legal team and you have, you check with legal on pretty much everything, right? Any contract question, yeah. the client's trying to push back. You're like, well, let me check with legal, you know, and we didn't have that. And it was more like, well, let me check with the CEO. And he made decisions based on emotion, based on wanting to keep this client happy. So, so I mean, I guess that's so, logical. Yeah. So another, so uh, to, go, to go back to the procurement. So one, one lesson is the importance of lawyers. Another lesson is there's like always how much you're paid in theory versus how much you're paid in reality. So yes. in theory, it's, oh, the technicians get X dollars an hour, but if procurement in practice manages to not pay you for half of the hours, you're like, you're effectively getting paid, paid at, at, at 50% of the rate. And I think a lot of people think about the on paper official rate, not, 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 the, real, not the real world rate of what, what they're actually putting in. Right. And as if they wouldn't pay us for that extra hour, we're still paying our technicians. Right. So even though, yes, we did mark up the, the cost of, uh, you know, labor on per hour, it, it wasn't really enough if, the, if they only, you know, decided to pay, for, pay us for one hour and the technician was there much longer. Yeah. And when there are like thousands of technicians and sites and, 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 and procurement only, only paying for half of them. It's like suddenly that that eats eats away at, at the money very very quickly, um, and and before we move to to another aspect or the next aspect, tell us a bit about your experience deal, dealing with procurement because a lot of people that run small agencies or small companies don't even know what what procurement is. Okay, can I just one moment? Yeah, I I will use this opportunity to swig some water as well. You, you, you need the internal strength to ju- to get ready to talk about procurement. I just get a little bit of a scratchy voice and that never sounds good on a podcast. So, um, well, uh, so procurement uh, tends to be a, um, a department within a corporation that manages all contracts as far as new work and uh, new opportunities, new projects, new vendors. Um, They are the ones that will negotiate the pricing, they'll negotiate the, you know, red lines within the contract, and they tend to be hard line. 
And it's interesting because they are, let's say that I have a con, I have a client and I deal with their, you know, let's say their IT department all the time and all of the, you know, even the CIO I'm dealing with, but I don't get to talk to the CIO if I'm dealing with procurement. They're the ones who are, you know, they, they act as the mediary. They don't allow me to go to the CIO and say, you know, we'd really, we want to give you the best price, but you're, you know, you're pushing hard on us. You can't really have that conversation with procurement because they, they're just ice cold. They don't care. They, they are just trying to get the best deal for the company that they're representing, which is their job, but it makes it difficult for smaller companies to, you know, be, I don't know, competitive or even get work. Um, There's the, the department that you work with, they see the value, they see how awesome you are, yes. they see how you work, and, uh, and to procurement, they look only at the cold cash and, yep. and, and, and their job. It's, it's, a, it's a whole department to be, be as, as, as cheap as possible. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a brilliant strategy. It's a great way to set up a, a business if, um, you know, you don't want people making decisions based on, uh, you know, uh, relationships, I guess, personal relationships or even working relationships. Okay, so, uh, so procure, procurement beware that's the that's that's the, that, that, that's the lesson the the red line from the procurement section yeah let's let's talk about um about the core the core work that um that that that, that you did as the as the account executive um what what was it that 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 made dealing with this client so uh, like per, per, particularly painful well I think it was, it was definitely the client, but it was also the way that the company I worked for set up the role because they were responsible for every single pillar of business under this client. And this client had new store construction. They had brick fix. They had uh, software rollouts. They had um, special events. They, they had all these things that were you know, broken down into huge departments and yet one account manager was supposed to orchestrate and support all of it. So any problems would shoot up from any of those areas. And it just made for a very long um, to-do list and a very long uh, engagement with the, the vendor manager. The vendor manager was probably at the end of things, I, I started to like him, but man, when, <laughs> when we first worked together, he made my life a living hell. Like he, that task list was like 70 items long. And I'm like, I don't know when I'm ever going to get to do this or, or, and make these improvements where he's trying to make a strategic, but then I'm getting all of these tactical items that I can do nothing about, um, except for share with the CEO. So I needed a lot more support, I think, as far as, um, the role, it, it should maybe be split across several account managers. Um, I think that probably would have been more productive and maybe a better experience with the client. Maybe I'm a little jaded because I just spent so much time and energy and still felt like I never quite got up that hill. Never accomplished okay. anything. Okay, so like let's unpack it because I think there are a few important points um, in that. First, it's it sounds like you had the job of like 
for different people. So, so, so it was, so while part of this is saying, wow, the client was a disaster and like, and like 75% of the 70 people that you work with were disasters. It also sounds like your boss and your company could have had four different people, but they, but you're so confident they piled, they piled it all on you, making your life miserable. Well, they, that was the role when I started. So I think that that's just how that was the, the format that they had for account managers, right? No matter the size of the client, they're going to have one account manager. Um, we did have a program manager and that program manager reported to me and then had several project managers reporting to him. And um, I then had other direct reports that worked as contractors for this client. So not only did I have to deal with client facing issues, but then I had a whole team to try to help um, develop and manage. Um, and they were actually sitting in the, the uh, client's offices doing work inside the client's offices, which made it very, very, um, could be very awkward, <laughs> um, but also very interesting because we we had that in, like we would find out certain things because we were in those offices. Um, it, it was just such an, an unusual relationship, not one that I was used to, at least. So, so I think a good uh, one of the lessons there is companies often define roles in certain ways. This is what the account manager does. But as the company grows or you have clients that are different than your usual, you have to change the role in order mm -hmm. in, in order to in order for the client so so it sounds like in, as part of the breakdown one of the uh one of the problems on your company side was that role wasn't changed and instead more more and more piled on you i think there's i think a second point to come out of what you're saying is the vendor manager giving you a never-ending task list and this this is actually, oh my God, I can like- He was never happy. He was so never, never happy. So so this is actually a, a really good one. And what's good, I, I, some of your points, I haven't come out in the previous podcast, including this one, and, and I like it. And I feel like task lists are like fundamentally overwhelming for anyone because it kind of takes away your humanity. Hey, you are a robot. Here are 400 mm -hmm. things that you, that, that you just need to be a robot. And, uh, and 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 complete and to add to to add to that it just just like the never ending always growing it turns from you losing your humanity as a robot to you feeling overwhelmed and in a no win situation and it it doesn't allow you to be strategic like my role was supposed to be strategic get more you know um, have the clients uh, engaged and happy and um, secure more projects, secure more work, uh, any type of opportunity we were open because it was a technology company, retail technology that I worked for. And the, the, the world was very large as far as what they could help um, this client do. They could help at, the, at their particular stores, but they could also help at their corporate offices. So um, it was, there was a lot of potential for that relationship. And I do, I completely agree with you. If they had changed the account manager role and maybe developed um, a few more areas of support 
uh, it, it probably would have improved definitely my experience, but also just even the relationship uh, with the client and probably our ability to be more productive. So that makes know. sense. This is a good one. I, I like the warning of, uh, of, of, ne of never, of never ending task lists. It, uh, <laughs> I, it's, I, I've seen it with myself where it like leads to like my own feeling of blowing up. Um, <laughs> question. So, so far from the ears of the listener or the eyes of the viewer watching this podcast, for like what they've heard so far is, okay, you have a big client who wouldn't pay for all of the hours and give you a, a really long task list. So while those are frustrating it's it's not yet the the painful uh, experience that or they, they haven't yet heard what the, uh, the 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 pain the pain that you've been through and I always think that what's powerful about the examples little examples of little thing blow up this little thing blow up this little thing blow up is mm -hmm. that's where the best and the strongest lessons uh, come come through so you have a Difficult client wouldn't pay. Gave you a big task list. Do you want, maybe we can talk about some specific moments in sure. the uh, in the dealing with them because that 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 will make the, the the lessons very vivid. Totally agree, and I do have some specific se several specific moments for you. Let's go. You said you need some more water to to prepare for the stories. I'm going to take some too. <laughs> So uh, one specific example is around the um, project management of their seasonal um, activity. Um, basically, they needed more equipment in their stores in order to uh, make more sales, serve more customers, that kind of thing. So my company was selected to basically install that equipment to make sure it's running, make sure it's up the whole maintenance piece, um, send out, you know, send back broken things, send back um, fixed things, make sure that those that get installed, it was just a lot of little moving pieces to the business of, you know, equipment and inventory. And um, anyway, already stressful time, right? The, the holiday season. And we had, <laughs> we got a little behind on a project and the program manager that I had at the time went out leave of, leave of absence the day before the client realized that we were very, very far behind on the project. Like we had probably, I don't know, maybe 700 sites left to roll out to. And we certainly did not have that number. I mean, we had like a handful of project managers that were supposed to handle each and every site in detail, you know, to make sure the technician get there. Did they install? Um, did they have any issues? Did they, you know, checklist down? And uh, with this program manager stepping out, I had to step into that role. So I essentially was overarching, trying to run this project. And the client came to me and said, you know, can you please tell me if your company can really really do this and accomplish it in the next three days. 
And seeing my project managers, how stressed out they were, how miserable they were, and how they were already working more hours than they should have, um, I said, I don't, I don't think we can do it. I don't think we can do it. So they brought in another vendor to help support the opportunity or the um, project of the rollout of this equipment. And I got into a lot of trouble with the CEO and the VP of operations. They were so unhappy with me because I allowed another vendor into the relationship. But I knew we were going to fail. I knew that we, I mean, we still managed to fail by, I don't know, I think we got up to like 75% ready to go once it was Black Friday. But we still, we still had a bunch of sites that just did not have the equipment they needed. And I spent a lot of time working on reports manually to share with the client about each one of these visits. You know, we're at X percentage of completion. We have these kind of problems at these sites. We, I mean, it was very detailed, but also very manual. I ended up working a 36 hour workday. I- 36 hour workday. Because, because this, pro, and that was when that project started. And I, can you imagine if I said, yeah, we can handle it? I don't even know, I, it probably would have killed me. Um, but the reason I worked so many hours is I stayed up all night um, trying to get this manual report together for each and every site that we visited that we installed equipment at. And I had two people helping me, but given the number, the sheer number, we had to go into the system and check to see what the status of the um, visit you know, what, what, kind, what happened, uh, was it completed? It was just so manual, which maybe stems back to, we definitely needed better software to maybe do that type of reporting. Uh, but yeah, we were essentially acting as the computers. Um, and I, you know what, I wanna say that not necessarily the client's fault here. So even though it is a horror story, of, it was an awful experience and our, you know, employees felt really abused. Um, it, it could have been managed. I think that once again, the company that I worked for, they just didn't have a close watch on the project that was going downhill. And also, unfortunately, I mean, you know, maybe the main issue is the, there weren't the right people in the roles and there weren't enough people in the roles to support what this client was asking us to do. So I guess I'm uh, discovering that it's really not the client, it's been this company this whole time that <laughs> has made my life. Well, admittedly, yeah, um, I knew that that company was, was working, it was very hard on me, but I took it all out on the client because it was you know, directly related to the client. Well, that's a powerful and an important realization. The worst client horror stories tend to be the ones where the client does something bad, maybe out of naivete, or maybe they're an asshole, but then you or your company or pressure from your company re responds in a way that makes it worse. And then they respond. So, so, so the two feed off of each other. So the worst mm -hmm. client horror stories is actually at least 50% about yes. yourself and your company um, uh, as, um, as well. 
Um, yeah, I, I just think client, client and my, my own horror stories is just less catchy than client horror stories. But, um, but I, I want to make, uh, make some observations on what you just, on, on this instance that, that you just shared. First, wow, I'm glad I was, I was in your position. Um, but, uh, but that's, um, that's pretty, it's pretty powerful, like having to work a, a 36, a 36 hour day with this enormous pressure of like a massive rollout by Black Friday, massive, like massively behind and so on. And on top of that, it what's difficult about that for you is you're in a no-win situation because you know that the company will fail unless you unless you say yes, bring in another vendor. But if you bring in another vendor, massive competition because like your your competition has the in to come mm -hmm. to come in. So like there's 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 no way out for you. I was in the um, middle of that horror story of trying to gather all all details around um, these visits, you know, doing this manual work. And the VP of operations calls me and chews me out. She's like, did I hear that you allowed, that you told this client that we weren't going to be able to finish this project and we weren't going to, we needed some help? And I was like, yes. And because that is true, um, your project, uh, your program manager just want, went on leave of absence and she's the one that was kind of running the show. She has the most experience and unfortunately she wasn't doing a great job and that's why they got so behind on the, on the project. Um, but probably due to some of the leave of absence, you know, she, she needed a break. I mean, she was just completely exhausted. Um, but anyway, right in the middle of me pulling my hair out, she calls to chew me out about letting the client go to another vendor. And I, I when I said, once I got off the phone, I burst into tears and I told my husband that I was done. I was going to quit this job. And I mean, I was like ready. I, I, I would have had more of a, I don't know, maybe an 18 hour day rather than a 36 hour if I would have quit then when I, you know, flipped out. Uh, but my husband, of course, is like, well, let's, you know, let's sleep on it. I didn't sleep on it. I stayed up all night and worked on this shit. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I came to terms with the fact that there's just no point in your job. If you live in the Bay Area, you're not, that's not gonna, you know, you just can't do that easily, um, as easily, maybe. Especially if you don't have great savings like like myself. <laughs> right. It's, um, so question, when you told, your boss and the CEO and these VPs at your company that 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 you would never make it and you probably raised the alarm bells to them earlier. How come they how come they because it was fundamentally their responsibility to mm -hmm. say uh, uh to say like to say ideally not at this point but earlier than this oh we're not gonna make it we need to put more resources in or something else why why do you think they that never happened? We had already pulled so many resources from each potential area that could actually support because we had a call center that actually would support um, the technicians calling in. We would support the um, store managers calling in and trying to troubleshoot equipment. And, you know, it would have been great to have a big team of those individuals to be able to like maybe do the, the project management piece. 
but it was right in the middle of the hot you know season and we were we were slammed there was just there were no additional resources um i'm i i am probably at fault for not running to them immediately and acting more um out of desperation by answering the client quickly on yeah get get us some help rather than trying to connect with the vp of ops or the ceo when they were free um to have this conversation about whether or not we can support this project that we're already far behind on um i just i guess i made a a decision that maybe they could have supported maybe they could have given me better advice on how we should keep the entire project to ourselves i i just didn't see it i didn't see i didn't see it so i didn't ask wow and it also feels like a powerful example of when companies get in over their head where uh where like if the company was already pulling in all like all of these resources then i and every everyone's working at max there's this optimism oh we can pull through we're working hard we just need to work hard for another week and then and and, and then we can do it but but sometimes like that's just not possible it's not and uh, you know i i I felt like this because she, the VP of Ops, was so disappointed in me and called me out on it. I was like, "Oh man, I really messed up. I really messed up. That I should have never made that, you know, that quick decision." But I had the client breathing down my neck, and they were like, "Do we get another vendor involved today? Because this stuff needs to be do done tomorrow." You know, like I didn't feel like I had that that space to um, to ask. But I also probably act, reacted emotionally, you know, because I was out of desperation. Um, anyway, my that little act of desperation uh, cut into my annual bonus that year. That was the reason that I didn't get my full bonus, and they cited that as a reason. Wow. Yeah. That's. <laughs> it's. It, it sounds like the assholes weren't only at. At, oh. at the client company, but at yours as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were also just very uh, frugal, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, it was it was painful. Yeah. So this is a powerful example of why this situation was a disaster in all in all directions, and we had a few lessons from it. I'd love to hear another example of a of a challenging moment to bring out the in vivid detail uh the, these these lessons one of the biggest challenges of that role um was having to manage the or uh, oh yes manage the warehouse and manage um inventory because we held a lot of this client's inventory and the client, of course, wanted to know where everything, everything was at, when it was at there, you know, when, when, when was it installed? Um, when did it come back? How long did it take to fix? All those things. Um, and this warehouse was enormous and they had a lot more, um, many more clients than just this client. So 
you know, sometimes the inventory got a little mishmash, a little mixed up. Um, sometimes our people that were working at the warehouse did not scan in certain things. Um, a lot of it was manual. Uh, that was also one of the, the big issues. And I, like, I think, you know, I already mentioned it before, it's, it was kind of a software concern. Um, we didn't have the right software to really make our lives easier, especially in the warehouse. We'd have an entire store would close and this company would send out a couple of technicians to pack up that store, every single piece of technology that they had in the store and send it to the warehouse. Then the warehouse had to, you know, account for every single piece of equipment that, that arrived. Well, without like official scanning, there were quite a bit of um, punching in of numbers and, you know, mistakes definitely happen in those scenarios. I, I believe they, they fixed that issue before I left, but um, it, was, it was messy and it was a nightmare. And the vendor manager expected me to basically fix the inventory problem, fix the problem with us not being able to tell him where their equipment is at, was at, how much they had on hand. Um, and he wanted a very specific report that we had someone working with him. Uh, and in other companies, when a client is requesting a report, typically you put a statement of work together, right? Um, and you charge them if they're scope creep. Well, in these scenarios with this client, we just didn't do that. We did not charge them for certain things, such as creating a report. We could never quite get it right, though. And it was, I mean, one of the main individuals working on the report would spend his entire 40 hours a week on this report uh, just to meet on Friday to review it to make sure that it was what the client was expecting. And we always failed. We always failed because the vendor manager would kind of change his mind, kind of like, well, what if, yeah, I know I asked for this, but, but what if, could we do this? And yeah, I'm really, I'm really after this. And so then we would go back the very next week and try to recreate that same report with his little tweaks that never quite came to, he was never quite satisfied. And I think if, if we had the right kind of software, um, we probably could have accounted for what he wanted, so, um, but, but we never charged him. We never charged him for those hours upon hours of work for this report that never went anywhere. So there are a couple of powerful points um, about that, which is people often think about contracts or statements of work, like they're useful because they make sure you're paid for what you do. But, but there's but what this example is bringing out, there's another reason why contracts and statements of work are, are really powerful, which is the limit and define what you'll do mm -hmm. and including the success criteria that, that the client will use in order to decide, okay, this is good, you're making it happen. So, so it's not only that where you, where you not paid for that work, but because there is no contract, it gave it gave the client the ability to say no, change this, do this, do this, do this. So it could so it could just keep on going and going on forever with the, without a clear way to end. Yeah, there were no parameters to 
him making that request. Um, you know, more than likely a document is usually drawn up and it's so specific, a statement of work is so specific, it'll be like, these are the following fields that you want, you have the, con the, um, the pricing of the amount of hours that are scoped out, you have the client sign it, and if they go beyond, they want something else, that's another, that's another change control. That's a, an addition to what they've already agreed to pay. So exactly. yeah, that's that we've, we could have, um, I don't know. It's, it was unfortunate. I really wish I could have done better for the, the CEO in, I don't know, calling that those kind of things out, but it was, there was almost an understanding that this is the way it is. This client runs the show. They, uh, we give them whatever they ask for, whenever they ask for it. And thank you very much. Like, I never really felt like there was the opportunity to be like, yeah, should we be charging them for this? Or they, they even got us to pay for their travel to come down to the warehouse to do an inventory uh, check for their own stuff. Um, and we, <laughs> wait, wait, you, you, your company paid for them to go to the, to see the warehouse of their own stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, <laughs> there, yeah, I want, I, I want to give props to their procurement department because they were really <laughs> able to extract every little dollar uh, well, out of you guys. That kind of stuff, and this is interesting because this was done outside of procurement. That kind of stuff was the relationship stuff. Like, hey, could you ask the CEO if maybe he'd pay for so-and-so's um, ticket to come and work with us on the inventory? Uh, you know, so there was already like maybe two people going that they, the company was going to pay for theirs, but they asked if we could pay for additional people, that kind of thing. And we did. And uh, we also paid to take them out for every single meal the entire week we were there. And um, coolest thing about this job is they liked to take the client to fine dining restaurants and I could order any wine I wanted. I was a complete alcoholic that entire two years, but I drank some really good wine. Um, so that's silver lining. I, I had a miserable job with a miserable client that drove me crazy and I hated it, but I got awesome wine. So I was to be a great alcoholic. <laughs> well, and really, really nice meals, you know, paid for that I didn't have to pay for. And, I, you know, not restaurants that I would normally just choose to go to um so yeah it was that was one of the nicer points of the the job but now working for a company that uh is not a small company um is a major corporation they do not forget you can't even you can't even charge a cocktail on your you know amex forget it like you've got to justify every single um dime that you use when you're traveling um, and treating the client that takes like pre-approvals. And so yet another huge gap in how this company was managed. Um, I mean, not a lot of complaints there for me because I got to you drink got good wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. So, so interesting that this didn't come from 
procurement, but from the relationship side. And I think it goes to your point that you opened the podcast with that companies have cultures and there is just this culture that permeated the kind of just squeezing and getting, getting every, 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 every little, um, every little bit, uh, bit out, which, uh, which apparent, apparently they did. In some weird circumstances though, too, where the vendor manager worked with a lot of other vendors, of course, you know, I, we weren't just the, his only problem. And so there were other vendors that did the same type of work that we did, but he preferred working with us. I have no idea, probably just because he could push us around. Um, but there were some weird things that had happened where we were bidding on a job and he accidentally sent me what this other company was bidding for this particular job and asked me to just delete it. And I deleted it, but I also, it was after I saw it, you know. Um, you, you, rem you remembered the, <laughs> the bid. I like how you put accidentally in air quotes. <laughs> well, maybe it was, but it just, I don't know. Like, I, he, he, on the surface, like he was, you know, I think he really did enjoy working with, um, with this particular company, you know, and, and because the CEO was very charismatic and, um, the, I, I enjoyed working with him. Uh, but yeah, so those kind of fishy little things, um, or a couple of things like that, that happened that I wasn't sure how to take. And I, I, you know, like, I know this is, this is, this isn't even on the line of un unethical. It's like across the line and across the, the finish line actually of unethical. Um, so I, I don't know. These, these circumstances were just so new to me. I just had never dealt with something like that before. Uh, so I, I did tell the VP of ops that, Hey, so-and-so sent me this, you know, the quote from this other vendor, um, Maybe ethically, I should have kept that to myself. Um, I don't know. I think I was so angry at the client that I just, uh, you know, I was looking out for the company at that point. Not sure. Well, however, I want to justify it for myself. Um, okay. So from, from my eyes, I've accidentally said things I shouldn't have. Um, Far too often in 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 other in, in other words in any negotiation and not just negotiation managing people managing clients yes. there there are often things yeah you know, it's it happens because there are things that you that would be really really helpful for the other person to know but you just can't say but but you but knowing that we're all human. And thus we make mistakes. While I can't say how much the competition is, you know, is is bidding for, I can be a human and make the mistake, and then very quickly apologize for the uh, for, uh, for 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 the mistake. So just knowing only what you know, it's like, of course, he did that on purpose as a way to let you know that, oh yeah, these other guys, these other guys are bidding low. And and by the way, to be like even more cynical. I didn't think I could get more cynical than I am, but apparently I can. Like, it could very well be that the bid he gave for the other guys wasn't even the real bid. He probably just lowered the number by 20% and then, and then shared that. 
<laughs> yeah, I kind of would not. So I mean, it, it seems shady. It definitely seems shady. And what's interesting is he sent me this email. I didn't see how it was relevant to me. So I might, I probably filed it away. But then he was like, oh, oh, hold on. You know, I didn't mean to send you that. And I was like, oh, really? Hmm, scroll down. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> now I want to see it. What did I'm you not send supposed me? to see it. Now <laughs> I have to see it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he could have just let it go. Like, oh, whoops. You know, uh, hey, please disregard. You know, I probably would have just deleted it. Um, so interesting. Actually, thinking about it out loud, he had to have given you a fake much lower number because that would actually protect his own ass morally. Because if he oh. if he told you if he told you their real number, that's uh, as you pointed out before, that's unethically crossing the line by mm -hmm. uh, like by revealing something confidential from someone else. But if he just makes up a number and attributes <laughs> them, obviously it was an advantage, then the other client, no one could, if it's ever leaked that he did this, he can't be blamed. He's like, I didn't tell her the number. I told her something completely different. So he didn't reveal any anything he should That is have. such a good point. I have never uh, thought of it that way, but I could, I, you know, I wouldn't put it past him, honestly. I'd, but hey, great learning experience. And there were quite a few situations where, you know, someone sent a, an email that they did not mean, mean for uh, the client to see or for uh, the vendor to see. That kind of stuff really happened a lot at this, at that job. And when I started at um, a different company, the company had you confirm any time that you sent an email outside of the company. If you know, like you're sending an external email to this person, should it go to this person? Yes. You know what, that, I, I, I think that this uh, company that I worked for before should have made that part of their process. Could have saved a lot of issues. What's interesting about that is my I have an email address at my my main client's company at their corporate email, and they have that alert. And like every day, all the emails. I'm, and I'm always like, why do you always say this for every email? I never thought it was useful. But this, but your point is 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 really good because there's just a lot of people. Who are who are careless in, in in this sort of way? Yeah, and of course things still happen where you send of yeah I, I don't know it, it it still happens but it's a, a much better safeguard than what they had before. Um, yeah, we had a situation where so the small company that I worked for they had a, they had trouble keeping an uh, a CFO so they're. You know, VP of finance, they that role just was kind of a revolving door. And um, one of our clients that we were dealing with, and it wasn't the client that I normally dealt with, um, was emailing back and forth with another one of the with with the client and another vendor. And they didn't realize that one of our employees was on the email. And they were just completely talking trash about um, this company. And they're like, well, who's the flavor of the month? You know, as far as the, we introduced a new CFO, right? And they would make, they, it was a long chain of just condescending and horrible comments <laughs> about this company. Uh, it, it, you know, that kind of thing 
has not happened in my current role because I think that everyone just assumes that they need to be professional and they're dealing with a professional uh, vendor or, or even a client. Um, I saw some really interesting, definitely crossing the line of unprofessionalism at this, at this company um, on, on both sides, on the vendor side and on, on the client side. Wow, these are lots of um, re really, really good uh, little details that paint paint uh, paint a toxic picture. I'm happy you got out, and uh, and I hope you're enjoying your current job much more. <laughs> it was a very oh. interesting learning experience for sure. Um, it just I know I was only there for two years, and I feel like it was a uh, a real life lesson. And you can learn one in two years. You don't even have to be at a job for that long to really learn some learn things. What What would you say are the um, are the most important lessons that 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 you learned in these two years? Uh, well, I already knew that the client is always right. I mean, that's fine. I already knew that, right? Um, but to the degree that they were right, that that tested my patience and my uh, my anger. It made me actually improve my level of professionalism and my acting skills. I think that I was, you know, I I never responded the way that I actually was feeling because a lot of things really made me very angry, and I just I just kept it down. So I don't even know if that's a good thing that I learned. Um, but it does help in the world of business for those individuals who are just starting out. You know, there is a role you sometimes have to play and it's not you. Being able to be a good actor is a superpower and like all superpowers, it can be used for good or used for bad. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. But it was frustrating that that's the superpower I had to try to use. And maybe I wasn't even that good at it. It's probably clear that I was fuming with a pasted smile on my face, you know, but um, I did. I also, I, I, moving on to a different job, I learned how to let those client things go. Like I would hold on to these things that would make me angry. Um, something that the client said or did that um, I felt was, unprofessional or just plain rude. And I would hold on to that forever. I would retell the story to 10 of my friends and perpetuate that anger in my system. That kind of stuff, I don't even hold on to now in this job because I, I just, what's the point? I just don't let it get to me any longer. Uh, it's, you know, we're, the job just wasn't that important. Um, and I let the, I let the drama get to me. And so I think I learned how to separate my emotions from, from dealing with work issues, just in general. Wow, that's actually a great way to wrap this up, but that's also a very powerful life lesson where I think part of growing up adulthood um, maturation is, you know, it's like the, the stereotype or the stereotype of like the young college kid that's angry about everything and the injustice in the world and fighting to change the world. And as you get more experience, you realize when you're angry, 
like over everything. Ultimately, you can't change the world and you're the one that suffers. So well, and everyone around you as well. So oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) You you and your friends and family, because they're the ones that when you repeat the horrible stories 20 times, repeating the story, they suffer with you. Um and 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 part of growing up is uh is 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 uh is lear- learning learning to learning to let go on these things. Yeah. There, you know, there are some stories that I I held on from my my current role if they're just outrageous, you know, or or I find them funny. Like they didn't make me, they didn't upset me. I mean, they might have upset me early on or because it was such an outrageous request. Um but then I saw it as funny and shared it because it was funny. Um, so it definitely has changed the way I at least talk about work as well. Yeah. The, so there's always outrageousness. And in a way, we kind of look for the outrageousness. It, it makes a lot of this fun and worthwhile. But I like the word that you used before. I have to use the same word, drama, where, uh, where, where it's easy to get wrapped up in the drama. But getting getting too wrapped up in it is um like is um is destructive and mm-hmm. and 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 for me personally this is one of the lessons not just of my professional career but of life and just mm-hmm. like relationships friends family girlfriends yeah. and so on that um that it's really easy it's really easy in drama and and tr- and turning yourself stoic takes a lot of practice. It does. It does. Perhaps it happens in your forties. You know, I, I, I am in my forties, and I'm definitely better at at, at at dealing with the drama and letting it go than I was 10, 20 years earlier. Right. So, See, for your uh, listeners, for your listeners, you know, don't don't give up hope. It's it's not something that happens overnight. Right. And you do have to live through that and learn your lessons before you get to the point of being able to, that's just no longer important. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And this is a, this is a great high level note in, in order to end it. The, um, thank you. Thank you for taking the time, Violet. It was, um, these were powerful stories and, um, and at least it helped you grow up. Yeah. I think that's what we learned today is that, I mean, it was almost like self-discovery. I, you're my psychoanalyst. So thank you very much for that experience. I didn't, I didn't have to pay you for the hour, right? Um, come, come for a podcast to educate younger versions of ourselves. Leave, uh, leave with some psychoanalysis. This, this is, this is the way it roll. This is the way it rolls here. Yeah, it's fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you for your time, Violet, and thank you for everyone, uh, everyone who is listening. I hope you enjoyed it and you learned as much as I did. Woo!